And then I see, I see just bodies laying everywhere. Naked bodies, clothed bodies, shirtless bodies, mosquito-bitten bodies just laying all around the rim of the lake. Everyone's throwing up and I'm like, great, that's going to be me in about 30 seconds. Welcome to Not So Bon Voyage, the podcast all about when shit goes wrong on the road. And this is our Voyager Chat series, where we interview travellers all about their wildest travel stories. We are your hosts, I'm Jules. I'm Christine, and you just heard from our guest on the show today, Mike Corey. Mike is a travel filmmaker and TV show host whose quest to overcome his fears has taken him all over the world. Including the depths of the Amazon jungle, where a shaman burnt frog poison into his arm. He's telling us all about it today, so let's get into it. Hey there, Voyagers. We are here with Mike Corey. Mike is a travel filmmaker that has amassed a huge following on his YouTube channel, Fearless and Far. Mike's travels take him on adventures looking for the most bizarre attractions and unique cultures of the world, like getting tattooed by a headhunter tattooist and sleeping in a 500-year-old stone Airbnb in a cliff in Oman. Thanks for coming on today, Mike. Let's kick off today's episode with you telling the Voyagers a little bit about yourself and your travels. Yeah. Hey, so um, my name is Mike Corey, alias Fearless and Far. And I picked the name Fearless and Far because uh, for the longest time, I was I was the world's biggest scaredy cat. And I know uh, now it might not seem that and people never believe me when I do say that, but I was scared of everything. Monsters under the bed, heights, and most prominently speaking in public. I had a pretty traumatic thing happen when I was a kid and I, I just, I, I would freeze and have panic attacks when I was the center of attention. And now it's my job. Now I have a TV show on BBC and I have a YouTube channel and I do podcasts and all that kind of stuff. So my, my ride from young kid to grown adult most of the time has been an interesting one. Uh, and it's been one that is heavily revolved around fear. And I've learned to dance with it over the years. And now my travel style is finding those things that make people uncomfortable and make me uncomfortable, which has led me to some pretty interesting corners of the planet. Wow. wow. That's so interesting. I didn't realize that was the origin story behind that. So do you still get scared when you're in these situations? Are you pretty yeah, much like fearless Yeah, of course now? I do. Of course I do. <laughs> that's like the, the word fearless is, is, I always say I'm not actually fearless. I just get I found the fun in fighting them because I think that there's a, and the reason why I got so interested in this topic is because we never dealt, we're never taught how to deal with this feeling. We all feel it, whether it's be, you know, giving a presentation in class or walking home alone at night or whatever it be, your monster's under the bed, but we're never given a tutorial how to deal with this very human feeling. It's as human as breathing. And so we get a very twisted relationship with it, right? And so for myself, I, I found a fascination with helping people understand it because I, again, the guy petrified of speaking in public has now become a public speaker. And it was because the main thing I realized is this feeling of fear, you don't, it doesn't really ever go away. You just learn to accept it. You, you feel the feeling and you decide to walk forward anyway. And that's the same thing for movie stars and rock pop sensations on the stage they feel the fear before they jump off a cliff if they're skydiving or singing on stage in front of a million people they they feel the feeling but they've learned to be like okay we're doing this anyway and then they you know they shine in front of the people and that that's that's what i try to preach is by putting yourself in these uncomfortable situations you, you become more comfortable being uncomfortable awesome that's man awesome. and what better way to push the boundaries than travel i mean exactly like even even just getting out for some people even just getting out of their comfort zone and getting out of their hometown and seeing something different embracing something different whether it's different smells sounds experiences like travel is the best way to really push yourself and challenge yourself and i feel like you know that's where a lot of our stories come from on the not so bon voyage podcast is where people have those cha- uh, those opportunities to challenge themselves and sometimes it doesn't go good and sometimes it doesn't go you know, like happy, but they get that transformative experience and they grow from it. And I think that that's all part of, you know, the beauty of travel. And that's a hundred percent it. So I kind of flip flopped and belly flopped my way into a travel lifestyle. Um, And through that, I was able to become the, the person I think I was destined to be, but only because, and not even often by choice, you're thrown into these situations where you have to make things work, or you have to go speak to strangers when in, in a language that's not your own language. And you just develop all this skill set because you're, 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 you become uncomfortable and you're, you get put in these situations that you don't know the, the, the way out. You have to become resourceful. And I, I still think after 10 years of doing this, that traveling is the best thing anybody can ever do for self-confidence, for resourcefulness, for just patience, for appreciation, all of these really important 
skills you need to be happy and successful in life, uh, travel is the perfect way to, to foster all of those. Yeah, and to learn about yourself. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of uncomfortable, let's jump into our not so fab five rapid questions before we get into your main stories. Uh, because there's, I'm sure you've got some uncomfortable experiences here. So what, let's go with the first one. What is the worst thing that you've ever eaten on your travels? <laughs> Actually, I didn't review these first. So this will be fun. Um, <laughs> candidly. Uh, so uh, again, going to this whole thing we just spent the past five minutes talking about, I think food is the prime example of that. Because we go to countries all over the world and the palate we're, we're given and we develop here in where I'm from in Canada, in North America is very, you know, we only eat chicken, beef, fish and pork. Uh, we don't eat organ meats. We eat, it's just like a handful of selected things. And I grew up most of my life thinking that you couldn't eat snake. You couldn't eat, pick another animal, you know. Um, but Pig skin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's only certain things you eat and, you know, yeah. chicken feet is not, you can't eat them. Who knows why? They're poison. Who knows? Um, but then you travel and you realize people eat it literally everything. And then you have to fight that moment of, of being comfortable being like, well, if they're eating it and you're at this grandma's place and her and her, her husband have been cooking this dinner in the jungle for six hours with stewed snake intestines and you're there and you're, you're going to be the guy who says, Mm, that's gross. No thanks. Or you're gonna eat it like like everybody else. Chicken fillets. Exactly. (laughs) Chicken nuggets. Gross. I don't eat that. And if you think about it, so for them, eating a turkey dinner uh, could be just as gross because they've never seen that before. They don't have turkeys. Um, And so then all of a sudden, imagine that person. You invite them from the depths of Cambodia over to your house and to mom's turkey dinner and they're like yeah i don't eat turkey it's gross like how insulting (laughs) would that be very insulting and how is that not exactly the same thing just flipped anyway long story short i love eating weird stuff um and the (laughs) the strangest thing because to prove this point like food is food even if it's not um not the same uh, you might second guess if this thing i'm going to say is actually food because it's borderline, but in the <laughs> northern part of the Philippines, the same place you talked about uh, where I went and got the, the tattoo from the headhunter. Uh, she's 103, by the way, who's, who gives the tattoos. She's an old lady. Wow. Um, but they have a, a thing, a food up there in the northern Philippines called itag. And itag is a pork. It's smoked pork. Um, but how it works is if you go to a wedding or go to a funeral, a village elder has to come and bless these, this, um, this, this event. And so you have to give him pork and he brings pork. And if he gets it at a funeral, he puts it in his shelf at home and it's meat from the dead. And if he gets it at a a wedding, it's called meat from the living and it goes on a second shelf and he smokes it in his closet. The thing is they live in grass huts, so there's no way to really keep the bugs out of it. And so part of eating this smoked tag dish is they cook it with the maggot still in it. And they believe it gives it more protein and it tastes like spoiled milk. So I went to the Northern Philippines to find a tag and make a video about this very ceremonial and controversial food in the Philippines. So they, they boil smoked pork with the maggot still in it, and they love the taste. I didn't finish Oof. that one. I didn't finish eating Ooh, that one. <laughs> but oh, that, wow. I, but that this, sounds it, tough, man. It is, it is tough. It is tough. <laughs> and another food they have up there is something called pinic pecan, which is uh, quite unethical, but still – it's how they've been doing things for a long time. And it's hard sometimes as a traveler, when you do see things that are unethical to do you step in and be like the, the hero um, or do you just sit back and kind of be like, Oh, so there's a food called Pinic Pecan um, because they believe for these celebrations, uh, the attention of the gods is very important. And the chickens there are kind of scrawny. They're just bush chickens. And they take a stick and they hit the chicken um, to get the blood flowing and for it to scream and they think the screaming of the chicken attracts the attention of the gods and it blesses the party and so we had pinning pecan and it together uh, for this his four-year-old son's birthday is what, what it was. a treat what a delicacy <laughs> and these wow. people spend all day like all the men of the village there was like eight of them spent all day making this this selection of just strange when what do you do you just kind of have to take a bite and you know yeah Wow, the maggots! Oh, that's wild. I don't know if I could go that far, but there good is for a, you for being there is a YouTube video. There is a YouTube video of, of trying. Well, I don't know if I want to watch that. Yeah, we'll put a link to it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. I don't know if I'll personally watch it, but uh, if anybody's feeling adventurous, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's that was great. Thank you. So, um, your least favorite country? I know this is a controversial question for a lot of people. Yeah, I um. Hmm. 
I don't want to answer that exactly um, because I feel like every country you go to, good or bad, you it's just there's the different experience you could probably have there. For myself, though, I've realized this, which will kind of answer the question. I really don't have a good time personally in the more mainstream countries because I feel like the whole point of traveling is to go out there and to have a real authentic experience with real authentic people. And the reality is that people connect with people, not places. And you see this with travel videos all the time. If you go there and just do these big wide pans of landscape, it's hard to get engaged. But if you're meeting people or you're vlogging, you're talking, you, people can, people, viewers connect with that. And I think as travelers, at least speaking for myself, all of my favorite memories and my favorite countries I've been to are the countries that I went and met a local and they brought me in and we had food or they let me sleep there for whatever reason they were just so happy to have me there and that doesn't happen in, in a lot of like the you know the top five countries in, in europe or whatever it be uh you get yelled at for standing in the bike lane in any european country <laughs> um, and you wouldn't think that these tourist friendly countries are very friendly but these tourist unfriendly countries like for example i was in mauritania this year uh, we went to bangladesh this year um, I was in Pakistan, Turkmenistan, all of these places last year um, be, would be considered tourist unfriendly places. But every single one of those countries that I just listed that people would be potentially scared to go to, you're treated like they, people are just so, so excited to see a foreigner there. And they'll go out of their way to help you and show you things and feed you. And they're just so proud to show off their country. And that's why I travel for those experiences. So I guess I don't find myself in Europe very often, not saying it's overrated exactly. I mean, a lot's happened there, but for me, I crave those really intimate experiences with locals. And I mean, it's the beauty, beautiful thing these days is you can go to most countries in the world. Most people would only travel to the same 20 or so, but the world's pretty open and free now. And if you make a local contact before you go, even better. But um, yeah, for me, it's it's the lesser known countries that I always are my favorite. And then the countries that are the most known, I usually have um, not so good of a time. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. We we ask this question because we always think it's interesting, even if people don't give us a, a country, to hear their responses. And we're, our response is generally pretty much the same as well. Like, we feel like people's least favorite country is always tied up to their own personal experience in that country, whether something good or whether something bad happens, which I think is not a fair reflection to like rate a whole country because exactly. you got in a car crash or something. Mm -hmm. So like ours is very much the same, um, but it is always interesting to ask people this. Um, yeah. And your favorite, your least favorite country may be somebody else's favorite country. I'm sure that's all based on the all experience the time, you so. had there, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And our favorite countries are very similar, like to what you were saying. It's the places that we've had the most time at. Like we spent mm -hmm. seven months living in the Philippines, you know, six months in Peru, spent a long time in Mexico. And like those are our favorite countries because we had the time to connect with local communities, to make local friends, to do the stuff that the normal tourist doesn't get to experience, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I would say the most secretly underrated country is Mexico because everyone thinks about Cancun and wet t-shirt competitions and tequila on, on the on the Cancun coast there, Quintana Roo. But the whole country of Mexico is in incredible. It's so true, especially Americans who go down just for spring break or whatever. They just think of it as like a resort country. But the, it's such a diverse country in terms of like landscapes and cultures and food. There's so much to see. You could spend so much time in Mexico. It's one of our most favorite countries. Yeah, and especially the south. Chiapas, we spent three months in Chiapas probably about seven years ago. Um, and that for us is one of our favorite places. The The mixture of the you know, the, the mine culture and it's, yeah, it's a great, so luscious and there's so many places to explore and yeah, it's a great spot. hundred percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, if you can't give us a favorite, a least favorite country, what is, do you think is the most overrated landmark or attraction that you've visited? Oh man. Um, you know what? I've been to, um, like I've been to Machu Picchu and the thing is like Machu Picchu was getting 2000 people a day and you have to, it, it almost felt like Disney world, but it's really cool. You know, it's really, it's really cool. And same thing like the Cam like the Khmer uh, temples, the Angkor temples in Cambodia, lots of people there, maybe less than yeah. Machu Picchu, but still really cool. Right. Um, I would have to think like going back to the question before and, and kind of answering this question, I remember going and seeing the Eiffel tower in Paris on the first, on the first trip I was there and seeing it and just being like, ah, you know, <laughs> at least for in, when you go to Rome or something, there there is a bit more, I guess, presence, more a bit deeper roots around what you'd be seeing there as far as history goes. And I saw the Eiffel Tower and I was like, meh. And my first trip to Paris wasn't so great. 
Um, but then I came back a second time and I was walking home really late, late one night and I found a, a bridge party happening with some street performers and a bunch of people with red wine. It was like the best thing ever. But again, not something you can go see an, an attraction. Um, but I, I would say a lot of the major landmarks in Europe, I just don't feel like it's an authentic experience. I feel like you're rushed into this paid program where you pay 60 bucks to climb a tower and it's kind of like, eh, like you just, you know, feel like cattle, not my, not my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've had a few people say the Eiffel Tower. I think so, that's like the third or fourth person that said the Eiffel Tower yeah. is overrated. And yeah. I can see it. The CN Tower in Canada is the same sort of thing. You pay some extraordinary price to go and get, you know, buy a $15 chocolate bar to give shop and uh, it's just yeah yeah overrated yeah it's the i feel like it's the attractions for the i don't know <laughs> for the least adventurous people i don't want to <laughs> it's like the standard stuff like you open up the guidebook and it's like go to spot a and then go to spot b and it's just the boring shit yeah i mean if that's like your first trip overseas it's like wow this is really cool to go to the eiffel tower it's so iconic but then if you continue traveling you're like wait a second there's way cooler things out there with way less people that are just more awesome to explore so kind of goes to the bottom we had a few things from france actually because someone else said the mona lisa oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah same thing Uh uh-huh same thing yeah yeah not not not, but again i'm not a i'm not an art guy really so i don't i don't know behind it but i have i feel like there's certain kinds of travelers who just go for the, like they're basically Pokemon catchers. They have their Pokedex of 150 Pokemon or a hundred world sites, whatever it is. And it's like, you go take a photo of the Taj Mahal, check. You post on Facebook, you show your friends the next dinner party. Okay. And then you just go through and you do all the, all the things, the, you know, pick all the attractions, the London eye, or big Ben and all that kind of stuff. And then you you feel like you've accomplished the checklist and you've seen the world when everyone who who's travels like us kind of realized like, well, you didn't see anything. <laughs> it's not, yeah. <laughs> you, it's, yeah. You, just, you could have downloaded that same exact photo on, on Google. And that's, that's yeah. Travels, travel is about an experience. It's about something that you do, something that changes, like that pushes you and challenges you. It's not just like going to a spot and yeah. yeah. And that's why I, I tried to push this travel style with being uncomfortable. I feel like that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah 100%. absolutely. We, in total grains. Yeah. Okay. Worst place you've ever slept on your travels? Worst place. Um, <laughs> I uh, sometimes the worst place are the best places. So the, the I was wor- going to say it might be the worst <laughs> and best. <laughs> the, the let's say the worst place, which I think is one of the best places. I slept on um, <laughs> uh, cow skin rugs on the floor with. Um, it was a, a hut, maybe four meters by four meters, like um, circular diameter. Um, and and it was with 10 other people. Um, most of them were topless because it was <laughs> it was a, a Himba tribe. So in Namibia, there's a really beautiful um, series of nomadic tribes in northern Namibia called the Himba. And they, uh, very, they live very traditionally. And women... Th- are seen as like um, top of society and they dress very ornately and uh, with a lot of jewelry and they cover themselves in red ochre. And they believe like ankles are like one of the sexiest parts of a woman's body. And so their ankles are always covered, but their (laughs) breasts are always out to play. And um, I was there with my, with my friend. Makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> and, they lo- and they love jumping and dancing. So. <laughs> wow. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't posted that on YouTube yet, but there'll be some censoring, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, we were looking for a real cultural experience. And uh, so we were there and I was trying to organize um, to, to spend a night with, with it in this village. And sometimes it's hard to find these really authentic experiences. So we had to go find this um this tribe that didn't get very many tourists and then i had to find someone who spoke english and also the local language there to kind of connect everything and so i was explaining like i would love to spend and this is a tip that maybe people can use to find authentic experiences for themselves um because normally what happens a tour group would go and they'd walk in like a human zoo look at some people and leave and i i think that's very it's, it's a very yucky way to meet people where you go in and there it's ugh, I just don't like it. I want to, I want to, I want to get to know people and hang out and build a connection. And so I was asking if we could spend 24 hours, 48 hours with this village and help them like build. They, they live in these um, cow dung huts and things, help them build some and help them catch their food and stuff. And he said, no. And I asked why? And he goes, Oh, well, there's no hotel there. I was like, no, we don't want a hotel. We want to sleep in the hut. And like, no, but there's no hut for tourists. I'm like, I know there's no hut for tourists. Mm -hmm. We want to sleep with them if we can, if we're allowed. If there's a spare hut, we want to sleep 
with them. He goes, oh, but, yeah, but you can't, but there's no beds. I'm like, that's good. Like, what do they sleep on? Cows yeah. with wooden pillows that they have to carve and they keep their head off the ground so um, they can have both ears to hear anything creeping the camp at night, as well as there's some kind of specific parasite that crawls in your ear. And if you have this wooden pillow that props your head up, it can't crawl in your ear. So good idea for the wooden pillow. Yeah. All right. So, so for the win. (laughs) It's a funny story because we eventually, he's like, okay, I mean, but you're going to sleep on the floor. Right. And we're like, yeah, of course, let's do it. And so we met this beautiful uh, tribe and we had a really good time, helped them cook. Um, It was just very authentic and very interesting and made really good friends with a lot of people there. So much so that um, all, they all wanted to come share a hut with us that night. And so there was like 10 people and we all kind of huddled up like in a big cuddle puddle. Most of them were shirtless girls because the men um, were out, I think, hunting or something. And so it's me and my my white buddy just kind of curled around this tribe of people, just kind of so far out, out of our element on wooden pillows on on cow skin, and it was uh, <laughs> didn't sleep very much, but it was an amazing experience. Wow, that sounds like a really cool experience. Very that authentic. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like a, it's like maybe not the best night's sleep, maybe the worst night's sleep, but one of the best experiences like in terms of travel. So Exactly. I mean, like, exactly. Worrying that's going to be a parasite in your ear and you're, you're laying on naked people and you just feel so out of place, but it's so beautiful. <laughs> that's why you travel, right? To, to push your boundaries a bit. So it's great. That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. And the last question is one that we've, we haven't had any honest answers at least, but we haven't uh, had anybody confirm it. But have you ever pooped your pants while traveling? <laughs> well, I will be your first honest answer uh, candidate. Yes, I pooped my pants probably uh, at least twice. And I'll tell Woo, the, the story. Finally. <laughs> Everyone, I don't know why people are lying about it. It's like something that commonly happens when you travel, for sure. Yeah. The reason why this question is in this podcast is because you, I know it's happened to one of you two. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get sick, you eat, you eat, you eat street food, you know. You're on a bus for seven, you're on a chicken bus for 17 hours, like going through Guatemala or like going through South America. And, you know, sometimes it happens. You and think it's it, a right? fart and. And you can stay at home and you can eat the hamburgers and McDonald's or whatever you do. But if you decide to actually engage yourself in the experience, you're going to have to bring a couple pair of pairs of spare underwear. <laughs> and my, my two stories poop in my pants. One of them was I was taking a freediving course in Mexico. And with freediving, you're always up and down, up and down in the water column. And if you think about what happens in your gastrointestinal system, all of that squeezing, this kind of like, you know, gets, gets things going. And so I had to go, but there was no bathroom there. And I was with this little group. And so they dropped me back off in Playa del Carmen. And I had to like run back to the, the, the hotel. And I didn't have a, my key. My girlfriend had the key at the time. Couldn't get in. Anyway, not a good, not a good scene. Um, and number two was uh, I was in, in Sulawesi in Indonesia. And we were filming these tribal parties. And again, eating local food for like weeks and weeks um, over there. And then I was in the back of a motorcycle and like my pelvis was rattling off the, the the frame of this busted bike for like an hour one day and I had to go so bad and I I yelled at him to, to drop me off and I ran off into this villager's place and like bathroom bathroom and they didn't point they didn't know what I was saying and I had to run behind their house and I just literally pooped on this slope as they watched me <laughs> I love it was, that but it's like you. what do you it's like what do you do it's like because they didn't know what was wrong with me i was like bathroom 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 they're like what is like and so i just went behind their house there was like a garbage pile like where they i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> don't look at me don't look at me <laughs> i can't go if you're looking oh i can't go <laughs> that's hilarious what do you do you just you know i'll never see them again i'm sure they have a fantastic story to tell for the rest of their lives I'm sure they do. The crazy white man that shot in their backyard. <laughs> Didn't well, even thank wipe. you for owning up to that. You are our first one. Officially. Congratulations. <laughs> we appreciate the honesty. Okay, so now that we're warmed up, we're going to get into your not-so-bon voyage story. So you are taking us to the Amazon where you participated in a frog poison cleanse, which I have never heard about. So I'm very excited to hear the story. Um, so have you heard of ayahuasca before? Yeah. Right. Yes. I've done that, but oh, cool. never done frog poison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these, these are all different kinds of Amazonian jungle medicine, right? So ayahuasca was used for a lot of reasons and it's become kind of trendy now as a way to 
see the fabric of the universe, to, 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 you know, discover yourself and, and see everything. Um, and so what happened with me is I was doing this really cool event uh, with a brand was called, uh, doesn't matter. They were doing adventure, um, <laughs> large minority, large minority. They were doing these amazing race style adventure trips. So you could go um, with a teammate and you'd compete for a week in these really like authentic kind of amazing race style challenges. So this one was in, in the Colombian Amazon and the very South near a city called Leticia. And so you'd go, I had my buddy and we went and we was like, it was like dugout canoe racing through like the Amazon um, river and then spear throwing and all kinds of strange, like local, um, local activities. We've been and, to Leticia. Oh, cool. Yeah. At the, at the tri-border. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, so, uh, we took a, we took a slow boat from uh, Urimaguas in Peru up, uh, and slept in hammocks on the boat, on the boat all the way up to Iquitos, and then we took another slow boat out to Leticia on the tri border, and then we went into Colombia from there. That'd be beautiful, yeah. right? So Colombia, Brazil, spot. and 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 Peru. Uh-huh. Yeah, but Leticia is so remote; it's not connected by road to any other spot. No, in, in, at all, right? So you have to boat or fly into this like, yeah, it's oasis crazy. in the jungle. Mm. Mm. So this was the launch point for this this really cool kind of uh, adventure race style uh, um, trip. And so um, it was me and my buddy, a uh, Dutch guy of mine who was very hot tempered and I'm a bit more cool. <laughs> and so we made a very interesting <laughs> team. <laughs> uh, that's a story for another day. But when we finished, we booked in an extra week because I had tried ayahuasca once in Peru and I thought it was really interesting. And my friend as well was he's into like the more spiritual side of discovering himself. So we're like, okay, well, there's more than one kind of Amazonian medicine. That, uh, and so let's see if we can find an authentic shaman to see what else, you know, go down the rabbit hole a little bit more. <clears throat> so we were in Leticia and we were in the main square and we had a, a week and we, here's the thing about finding these authentic experiences. It's like, do you just Google uh, jungle medicine, shaman, Amazon? <laughs> like what's who, a good one doesn't Yelp have a website. Reviews. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you're kind of like in this in the situation where you can't you can't really just Google it, right? Because you're not going to find someone who's legit, right? Or you're going to pay way too much. And and so we were like, well, let's just see, let's just meet people and see if we can find some. Uh, we had a very loose plan. So we had one free day, and we were just kind of like decompressing after this crazy adventure race. And there was a guy selling jewelry in the main square of Leticia, and he had the iconic um, Cambo scars. So Cambo is this frog poison cleanse, and what it is is the uh, a shaman takes this stick, puts it in the fire, um, it has two coals, it's like a forked stick, burns two holes. Um, not burn holes is a strong word. Burns your skin in two places, then picks off the the scabs, the burned flesh, and then rubs this frog venom into your skin. And he had these iconic scars on his arm. And some of them looked pretty fresh. He had like 16 all the way down his arm. So meaning he had done this thing we were trying to do many times and had been recently. Problem was, the guy looked a little bit sketchy. Um, (laughs) So so we were there and we're like, he's got the camel scars. I'm like, dude, you talk to him. No, you talk to him. (laughs) And so we went over and talked about bracelets and stuff and bought some little trinket just to kind of get to know the guy. And he see like... His English was, he actually spoke some English, which was a, a, a bit of a prerequisite. And he was, he seemed like nice, a little bit frazzled, but like a, a, a reasonably put together guy. And so we started asking about the Cambo and then he's like, do you want to go? And I'm like, maybe. <laughs> he's like, well, I can take you. And and we're like, okay, um, tell us some more. Like, who's the guy? Where are you going? I was, well, first of all, um, if you want to go, we have to go tomorrow and you have to meet me at 10 a.m. And you have to bring me um, $100 each. And we're going to go three days out in the jungle and we're going to meet a shaman there. And he's a friend of mine and um, we'll be back in a couple of days. And we're like, okay. Um, so like, how well do you know the shaman? And how well do you know? Can I get like, a references? Oh, Any? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is there a resume? Like, what do we got? Is a business card or? Yeah, yeah. Is he on Instagram? I don't know. What's going on? <laughs> uh, nothing. This guy is like, doesn't, I don't even know if he has a passport. <laughs> so anyway, so we're like, okay, um, uh, we're going to talk about it. We'll come back in a little bit to let you know. So we went off and we're like, like this, this guy, like obviously knows what he's doing. Um, d- is he going to take us off and, and knife us in the woods uh, and take our money? Or is he going to take us there? We didn't know. But we're both like pretty big guys. We're both like six foot, 200 pound guys. And he was five, seven and like a, a buck 50 or something like 
it would have been a fight if you wanted to pull any funny business. Um, <laughs> but still, though, you don't want to ever take a risk like that. You know, he could be drugged or something. Especially in the middle of nowhere. Like that place, just like to paint a picture, like that is literally in the middle of nowhere. That's the sort of place that when we went there, we were there like eight, nine years ago, we described it as like the place that you would go to disappear or to be disappeared. <laughs> like, yeah, you could disappear very easily there. And you can just walk into 100%. like we we took the boat across the the Peruvian side, and then we had to go to this dodgy, dodgy immigration place to get our Cambodian visa. But we could have just walked into Cambodia, or like you could just go into. I mean, it's not really anywhere Columbia. you can go, Columbia. but yeah, Colombia. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that'd be a far walk. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, to get our Colombian stamp, but like or Brazil, but you can just disappear easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And so we were thinking about how he would disappear us basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we thought about it and we're like, look, here, here's the plan. Um, we'll tell him yes. And then we'll meet him tomorrow. So we went back and said, dude, we're in. And we made sure like he wasn't trying to con us. Like a hundred bucks seems like a lot of money. You know what I mean? Each hundred us each, but it's like, no, we have to pay for the boat and the taxi and the offering. And I mean, it's really, it's really not that much money um, for us. Like I'm willing to pay more than that for a really authentic experience, but I just want to make sure it's not like, not getting, you know, it's going to the right place, the places it should go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it was all to the shaman and all to, like that, that's, I'm hundred percent okay with that. I just want to make sure that he was, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? So it goes a long way, a hundred bucks out there. 100%, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. yeah. So we went, uh, we met him the next day and this was our plan. This is like the old hitchhiking trick we decided to pull on him. And it was like two levels. So like, if this guy's going to drug us and take our money, let's just let him do it now in town before we get like a day and a half in the Amazon rainforest where no one knows where we are anymore. So first thing we did is we um, brought him the hundred dollars each, gave it to him, and we're like, we have to go three blocks away for twenty minutes to do some banking and some other things. We're not going to be back for twenty minutes, fifteen minutes. So stay here, okay? And, like, okay. <laughs> and so we just went around the corner and waited, <laughs> waited for like twenty minutes. It's not a bad trick. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah, yeah, that's a good life hack. Yeah. I mean, although he could be waiting for you to come back because he's like, well, I know they got $100, so they probably got more. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we gave him ample opportunity to take off. And we came back and he was there. And that was that was, that was test one passed. And test two was uh, saying, as this is the hitchhiking trick, being like, okay, um, hey, I'm going to send a photo to my, my loved ones. Here, smile. And you take a photo and and then you send the, you know, we didn't send the photo, I don't think. I don't think it was reception. But um, just That's let, smart. letting them know that, yeah, it's, it's a hitchhiking trick, especially for like female hitchhikers. So two things. Number one, your loved ones know who you're with and, and have the license plate and everything. But number two, that that weeds out any bad eggs pretty quick. You know what I mean? Knowing that they're, they've been captured and sent off to the internet. That's a great tip. I've never heard that before. And it's really good for any kind of, any kind of sketchy tour guide. Uh, take a photo and say like, oh, my, my mom wants to see what I'm doing or something like that. Or my like Navy SEAL boyfriend wants to see what I'm doing or something. I don't know. <laughs> smart. <laughs> We've done a lot of hitchhiking but in Central America and South America. I've never done that though. <laughs> yeah, that's really smart. That's a good yeah. tip. So we passed both those. And so at that point, we're like down the rabbit hole we go. So me and my friend Caspar followed this, this little skinny Brazilian guy a day and a half into the woods through planes, trains, and not trains, but planes and, and bush taxis and walking and hiking and eventually made it to this little village on a hill in the middle of nowhere. And it was basically the shaman's hut was on the top of the hill and there was maybe three or four huts around it. And that was just, that was the village. And it's also weird to film these things, right? So not only do we want to go experience it, like YouTube is, is what I do. And so with a lot of this magic medicine and the occult and just these, these shaman type people um they don't like being filmed because they have secrets and chants and you know recipes and things that, that are very sacred to them in the village so we we always have to be a bit sensitive so i it's hard to film sometimes and that was another variable too like asking this this guy can we film the shaman he doesn't know you know of course he doesn't anyway so we had the cameras kind of stashed away and wanted to go meet this this shaman and so the shaman hobbles out because one of his feet looked like uh, a, a couch pillow like it was this massive elephant size protrusion from the knee down mm-hmm. all wrapped in bandages and he kind of hobbles out with wow. his with his stick and he smiles which was a good a good start and so him and uh, our, our guide start talking obviously they, he's been a lot to get combo done the frog venom ritual and chit-chatting he points to us and we're kind of like ah, you know trying to be smiley and friendly <laughs> <laughs> foreigners and he invites us in and um and uh invites us for some tea and so I asked about the 
poor man's foot and he got bitten by a snake um, months ago. And you can see it now when it's just like black flesh, just like, oh, it's like he needed to go Ooh. to a hospital ASAP. But he was choosing the traditional way to, to heal his foot, um, which is quite shocking to see, actually. But um, I mean, if you believe in that stuff, I, I don't know what his fate is now, but I'm hoping it healed for him. But it was quite shocking to see. Doesn't sound like it was doing too well. No, it wasn't doing too well. Um, and so these little boys run in that are all um, well, like probably between four and ten. There was like six of them, and they all had they had um, Campbell scars on their on their bellies, like down here. And I'd only ever seen it on the arms before. And so we're asking about Campbell, and um, they're like, "Oh, well, we're using uh, the, the, the he translated the boys have it done." Um, on their stomachs because they have stomach problems. And so the reason why you would ever have frog venom jammed into your skin to begin with is to help your immune system, number one. So the boys were having their stomachs burned and infused with venom or poison, I guess, um, because it cleanses the system. But also um, a reason that it became a very popular back with like the warring tribes of the Amazon um, when it was more of the hunter, hunter gatherer um, tribes is that they say it enhances all your senses as well. So your sense of smell, sight, hearing, taste, all of that. Plus it's one of the most amazing boosts to your immune system. Is it like an adrenal? Is it like an adrenal rush kind of thing? You have an, an, an incredibly strong allergic reaction. And so huh. a, a very, um, what they always tell you is like ayahuasca, you will throw up. Um, and with, with combo, you will have, your body will swell up, uh, your face will swell up, your throat will itch, your eyes will kind of close up and you'll feel like you're going to explode, but it's only about 25 minutes of this, this experience. And then it promises a, a heightened immune system, heightened senses, sight, smells, all this kind of stuff. And that slowly dissipates over, over several days and also several waves of happiness over those days as well. Um, and so we were looking for that and we were looking for um, ayahuasca or just kind of poking around to see what an authentic shaman experience looked like. So we're here and it's looking very authentic. We've got some half naked boys with burns all over the belly, a guy with an elephant foot that was a snake bite. And we're in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. And so um, we kind of like ease the cameras around and not like jamming it in any faces, just kind of like, you know, filming some things and everything seems good. Like we're easing in, in, into the, into the relationship with this, this amazing man in, in the Amazon and also getting cameras involved and everything was going very, very well. And so I asked the question, like, when, when do you think we'll be doing Campbell? And so our guy asked the chairman, the like, tomorrow morning. And we're like, okay, sure. I mean, I thought it was gonna be now, but it doesn't matter. Tomorrow morning's fine. And so then some other village elders start coming in. They light a campfire, the sun setting. A guy pulls out an eagle bone, a very long, um, hollow bone. And they have this little vial of powder that they had tucked away in his kind of loincloth. And so he pulls it out and puts some powder in his hand and takes the eagle bone and kind of like dips it into the powder. And then reaches over to his, his uh, the Sean reaches over to his friend who just arrived and takes the eagle bone, puts it in his nose and goes <sighs> and blows this powder into the nose of the other man. And the other man goes... <sighs> Wow, <laughs> and then kind of like this little like neck crack thing and which is pretty badass and then puts his offers his other nostril and then powder and then eagle bone into the nose and wow. i had never heard of it didn't know what it was didn't even know didn't know what the name or even what the powder was and so we were like oh cocaine <laughs> yeah. it's a serious way to shoot some coke yeah exactly but it's and so we were like so that's probably going to be up for us next and it exactly was so then the shaman takes another vial um, um puts a, the, the, this like gray powder in the eagle bone and points at us and now me and my friend are like oh my god this is exactly what Decision we wanted but time. it's so scary <laughs> this is it <laughs> Well, I knew we were going to get drugged, but I didn't think it was going to be so obvious. <laughs> so with like no idea what it was, no idea. And, and so like, again, what do you do? What do you do? You, this, this shaman who is like, again, has seen probably, I mean, he probably have seen some foreigners at some point. Like, we have no idea. Anyway, not, doesn't regularly hang out with people like us now offering his eagle bone pipe with some random black powder to one of us. <laughs> and so my friend and I were like, this is your first go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he loses and he oh, and he goes first and so we watched the first guy do it so we kind of we saw an example of, of how it went and so the the little nozzle of the bone goes in my friend's nose and the shaman goes and my friend 
exploded not literally but stood up <laughs> stood up and this mucus out of like every hole in his face like eyes no it just spew of just of just like gray wow. saliva and he's, he's he went, <clears throat> and he didn't breathe for like 15 seconds he was like <clears throat> he was choking oh. on his own tongue or god or, or i don't and i i have this on camera and i'm like I couldn't, I was like, are you, are you okay? And he's like, oh, it doesn't look like I'm fucking okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't breathe. Oh and I was, like, I was like, oh my Jesus. God. And I'm like, how, how do you, how do you feel? And he's like, he couldn't speak. And then meanwhile, the boys are all laughing, the homeboys in the back. And then they're, but then they're like, come on, come on. They're getting him to come back because you have to do both nostrils. You have to, you have to balance it out. So then you oh, have to take a, a second hit of it. And I'm just in shock because I, I know I'm next. You know, it's it's like it's like a bungee jump or like the peak of a roller coaster. You just you know this moment's oh coming. God. And so should have gone first. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Watching it was way worse. And so I and he couldn't he, just, he couldn't he couldn't speak well enough to explain what was going on with him. But I knew I knew it wasn't good. And so he takes a second hit. He doesn't have as severe a reaction, but definitely much more than our first man. Just kind of went. <laughs> And uh, then it was my turn. And so uh, camera goes to me. I get the little eagle bone on my nose and then blows the powder. And uh, it, it, you just, I think I saw white. I think I went to heaven for a second. Just all of a sudden, this blinding white flash and every kind of like dazzles back in. And it just feels like um, your whole body is pins and needles and everything's swirling and like rolling backwards and side to side. And um, But it's just a complete blast to your senses. And so take the, the other side and then you feel like you've had um, uh, a million cups of coffee right after. So I would imagine it's, it's a bit of everything, a bit of probably crushed tobacco, coca leaf, and all the herbs and the spices of the forest all kind of mixed together. Um, turns wow. out, though, after this experience, I was, we were talking to the, the guy that's called Rappé, R-A with an accent, P with an accent. And it is, it's, it's ground up various herbs and things from, from the jungle, but there is coca leaf and there's also, um, there's also nicotine, uh, tobacco leaf in there as well as, as other things. And they use this to talk to high spirits. They call them high spirits and low spirits. And you drink ayahuasca to speak to the low spirits. This ayahuasca wasn't as strong as the one as you normally think it would be where you'd have, you'd see patterns and, and things. This was like a very kind of like weak ayahuasca, but we sat for the rest of the night taking hits of this rapé and then sipping an ayahuasca to speak to the high spirits and the, and the low frequency spirits. And we went to bed with these, these village elders like humming and, and singing, like we're there and we obviously don't speak the language. And one of them kind of starts chanting and then the other one starts chanting and there's four guys chanting. And we're just kind of like, for like after an hour, it's kind of like, bedtime i guess <laughs> we didn't, know, didn't know what to do they were all i want to join in but i don't know what to say i don't know the language oh uh, hey all... what's up <laughs> exactly <laughs> so they were all spirit talking and uh we ended up going to bed because after an hour of that you just kind of realized you don't speak spirit so <laughs> um went to bed and then at like i don't know i probably went to bed at one and then at like 5 30 um someone pulls on my toe and I kind of jump out of my hammock. We're sleeping in, in a hammock. And then it's my, our guide. And he goes, Mike Campbell. <laughs> now he goes five minutes. <laughs> oh, good. All right. Wake up. It's like you wake up, shit a coffee. <laughs> know, right? Five minutes. And so like, I didn't have, I, I didn't have, a camera ready. I, I, everything was just scattered because we kind of went to bed in a little bit of a wobbly state. Um, and also when you're doing these things that you don't exactly, you know, you're going to be put off, put off your rocker a little while. You want to have like, in my, what I you normally do is have like, I call it like a disaster pack. Not that I'm expecting a disaster, but have like all my important things in one little bundle. So I know where like my, the flashlight is, the cell phone, the wall, like everything uh, you know, that I might need in case of an emergency, like a band, I just all these, all the first aid type of, Important mm -hmm. stuff in one bundle. Yeah, if you get poisoned, if you get poisoned, if you have to do some kind of mystery powder, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and so I, I just kind of scrambled and kind of got my little disaster pack together and got the camera together. And by that time, 
um, the boys, little boys had already started and they were getting their, their stomachs done with Cambo. And so it's so funny because a couple of the boys were like really like proud, like little soldiers and they were taking her in the stomach like a champ and a couple of the boys were like running away. And so they had to go get like scoop them up from behind, like the cows in the back and like hold them and like, burn their bellies. And, oh my gosh. And every time somebody got uh, the, the, the frog venom done, um, they would run off to the lake, which is maybe about hundred meters away. And normally how the frog venom is harvested is there's a frog in the forest, a big green one, and they kind of tie it up on a rack um, with twine and they scrape its back as it's stressed and then it releases this toxin. And then they put that in the vial and then you have that rubbed into these fresh wounds and then they let the frog go. It's very important the frog uh, is healthy and safe and, and gets away because otherwise it's bad mojo. So um, I saw watch the kids do it, then I watched my guide do it, then I watched my friend Caspar do it. And so the tss, and then like the scrape, scrape. And then it was both arms and then they rub it, rub it, and then gone. So next person, burn, burn, scrape, scrape, venom, venom, gone. And it was my turn. And again, you just see them run and you don't know what, you don't know the fate of anybody here. They just disappear over the hill. <laughs> can, I, can I get someone to come back to verify that you're alive? Uh, what's going on? Exactly. And, and he was very, um, it was, it was a procedure. Like he, he, he like would chant and do all this stuff. And so you couldn't, you couldn't go check. You got, you were there for the whole experience. And so it's my turn and I have a little GoPro running and I, he burns the, 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 the two scars. He picks it off the scabs and rubs it in and he just little tap on the back and get the hell out of here. Off you go. <laughs> you know? So we're all, so I'm like running and I get in your heart's already beating and you're already stressed and you're already feeling something in your head because you're just like, what am I doing right now? And so, and what I had heard at 25 minutes of extremely uncomfortable uh, reaction from your body and then you get down to the lake, you rub it off and then it'll subside and you'll probably throw up. Well, everyone throws up. And so uh, the, the, vent, the, the, the poison's rubbed in and I'm jogging. And then like, again, feeling kind of like lighthearted and or lightheaded and feeling my heart's beating. And then start to see like black closing in on the fringes of my vision. And I'm only like a third of the way there. Gosh. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, faster, faster, faster. And I start to get a little bit woozy and I feel my face is like feeling like it's Ooh, going to just man. light on fire. It's so hot. <sighs> and then I see, I see just bodies laying everywhere naked bodies clothed bodies shirtless bodies <laughs> mosquito bitten bodies just laying all around the rim of the lake everyone's throwing up and i'm like great that's gonna be me in about 30 seconds Ugh. and so i i jump in the water and i start rubbing 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 and i see my, my my head pounding and like my you know the, the squeezing your throat when you're about to be sick and that and everything's like hurting and and and, and throbbing and aching and swelling my buddies are all throwing up my friend caspar is throwing up like yellow so he's throwing up the bile so he's thrown up so many uh. times I'm just sounding like he, he's a swamp lord from lord of the rings or something just the sounds he was making some <laughs> toad goliath toad warrior just like <laughs> and so and i'm there and i'm watching and i'm rubbing and it's like pounding 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 and then five minutes goes by ten minutes goes by everyone's kind of conscious but just groaning on the on the shore and then eventually i start to feel better um and did you throw up i didn't throw up really that's weird yeah i didn't throw up and then i go look at my my friend caspar the my dutch friend and look at my the, the, the tour guide and they both have their face their faces are they look like they're 70 like both those dudes were like 30 they look like they're <laughs> 70 like everything is just so swollen every every wrinkle is just like a, an inch deeper everything's swollen their lips are swollen their eyes are almost swollen shut everything is just like puffy and red Wow. And, we're, and so there we were. And the mosquitoes are horrible. There was a bunch of uh, uh, the kids, kids and adults and everybody all there throwing up on the coast. And there we were. Um, didn't feel the waves of happiness. Uh, didn't feel that great at the time. But as the day progressed on, we uh, we went back to the hut and they had, had drank some stuff. Don't know what it was to make you feel better. And then you feel really good after. Not high um, exactly, but just like calm. But and it's hard to know how true it actually is, right? Because if you go bungee jumping, that feeling after um, is almost a little bit spiritual because you've just overcome something incredible, at least if it's your first time or every time you do it. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of just feel like, oh, like grounded and like happy and confident and all of those things. And it's very comparable, right? Like, wow, we didn't jump off something. We pretty much jumped off something mentally, you know what I mean? A cliff mm -hmm. and who Definitely. knows was at the bottom. And so you do you yeah. feel you feel really good and and again I didn't bring any eye charts or any way to scientifically test it but it really did seem you 
you heard everything better and you did see better and you noticed, you know, the bird in the tree or the lizard on, on the stump, like you really did feel that way, whether it was just a perception thing or just because uh, you, by doing something so bold and loud, you just kind of drowned it out everything else uh, after. Um, but it, it, it was an experience that I would do again. Um, it's not for everybody. Of course, it's dangerous. A lot about that was dangerous. Um, but, but we were looking for something to help to, to, to challenge ourselves, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and we definitely found that, uh, it was not a comfortable experience. And, and of course we were scarred literally and it scarred a bit emotionally after <laughs> from getting so sick, but it was, uh, it was definitely one for the books and, um, one that I'll be talking about for a long time. Well, here I am uh, several years later. Yeah. Wow. What year was this? Probably four years ago. So Damn, around like 2016, 2017. How long afterwards did you feel that heightened sense of your senses? Like, like for uh, about half a week or so. Um, yeah, okay. a few days after. We, um, I actually, this summer I was supposed to go back down and do it again. And I actually bought a little eye chart and some different ways to actually scientifically test, test it this time. But you really did feel good. And it is, it is coming around and making the same route as ayahuasca is because I know when, when I was living in Mexico, I lived in Mexico city for two, two and a half years. I had met some Mexicans who had had it done in Tulum, I think. And so there, there is, it is kind of branching out and, and um, expanding across the world. Uh, but I mean, if it makes, even as a placebo, like nothing wrong with a placebo, if it makes you feel good, it makes you feel good. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, it's, it's a really important thing. Yeah, I think even just the idea of just um, doing it, overcoming, like you said, like that throwing yourself off a mental cliff, you know, like it's it leaves you with that kind of euphoric feeling of conquering a fear or just like that adrenaline rush of doing something that's so outside your comfort zone. It's been like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to like pull this thing up your nose and like take this, this frog boys and up fucking let's do it. And then, you know, so like even that in its sense in itself like would make you feel like euphoric just because it's just such a such a different thing yeah and i'm sure the Mm. adrenaline you're just like full daredevil mode like okay we're doing this let's do it yeah exactly you're already into deep and same and and then what happens is you go to the philippines and someone gives you balut and you're like well i already put frog venom in my body so i might as well try balut you know what i mean (laughs) i don't know about that (laughs) (laughs) i'm (laughs) anti-balut yeah i'd be more inclined to take the frog venom before i take that But you, uh, but you, uh, for those who don't know what balot is, it's like a fetal duck egg where you actually eat the fetus in an egg. It's disgusting. Um, but the, uh, the point is like, it kind of resets what your new normal is. Your new normal is like a little bit more tolerant, a little bit open and more open and accepting. And, uh, and I think that's a good way to live, you know, always kind of inching that a bit farther up. Totally. Do you feel like that is something now that you have to push the boundaries more like a drug, like you sort of become tolerant to what is the normal and then you ha- your new normal becomes has to become like chasing something higher than that? That's a really good question and something that I wrestle with now. Uh, I mean, I've been stuck in the same spot now for months, right? Uh, which is a bit hard for an adventure travel, adventure travel nerd who seeks those really challenging experiences. Um, and without talking about it too much, um, the 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 height at which I've, I've pushed this is I tried body suspension a few years ago, um, which is when you hang yourself actually by hooks um, and lift yourself off the ground. I had some friends doing it here and they were talking like, well, what's, what are you afraid of? Like, it's not actually that dangerous. Um, the worst thing that happens, you get a little cut in your back. We already have tattoos and all that kind of stuff. And so it's like when you start pushing the boundaries over and over to what, what you can mentally handle um or physically handled then you start to live a lifestyle where you almost crave it and you do like like a drug i think with i never tried heroin of course but what do they call it like chasing the dragon you always kind of like chase mm-hmm. that feeling and so you're always mm-hmm. like trying to live your life in a way where you you get that fix and 100 percent um i think my travel style is a bit like that with an asterisk though like i don't people sometimes label what i do as reckless but i Anybody who's been on a trip with me or spends time with me knows that I meticulously plan all of these things as much as I can. I mean, of course, the Cambo story, I'm telling it because it was really hard to plan something like that. But I told you some of the extra precautions we put into effect to make sure if something was bad was going to happen, we're trying to stop it. Um, but all of these crazy things, whether it be exploding hammer festivals in Mexico or this body suspension thing I brought up briefly, like I always list the pros and cons always list the, the worst case scenario. It's called like fear setting. Really think about what's the worst thing that can happen and can I stop that or mitigate it very seriously. And I think if you do choose to live a lifestyle where you do go on these wild adventures, 
It's very important to think about it that way in a very critical way, not in like, oh, yeah, let's get fucked up kind of way, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. you, have to, yeah. you have to be responsible because at the end of the day, you are, whether you are recommending or not with your words, you're recommending by your actions. And so you have to keep into account that some people won't think about these things as well as you do. So I always talk about that as well. Um, I train in my personal life um, to be able to be fit enough to do a lot of these things. And I train my mind enough to be able to handle some of these more challenging mental things as well. Uh, and I take that those, both those things very seriously because I know one stupid reckless mistake and um, I could cost me something very dire, right? So, Yeah, especially in situations with those rituals like the Kambo or ayahuasca where you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable situation. And, you know, think like, you know, things do happen to travelers who do that kind of stuff. And, you know, unfortunately, people have passed away at uh, those retreats and or gotten injured or whatever. So it's really important to do your homework and just find like a safe setting as much as possible. And sometimes you will take risks. But at the end of the day, if you're a traveler, you have to just like accept personal responsibility and decide for yourself whether you're going to take that risk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't I don't judge people to, to say yes or no to these things the way I just always say do things within your ability. If you know you've trained or you've thought about, or you've put the time into being able to handle the thing you're going to undertake, and you know that confidently, uh, you're not deluding yourself, or um, it's not self-delusion, then go for it, you know, and, and understand there's always going to be a bit of risk in life. You know? Yeah, awesome. Thanks, man. Well, I was going to ask you, as we like to wrap up our, our chats with asking our guests to talk about a travel takeaway, but I feel like you really sort of summed it up perfectly there with, you know, in terms of like, if you're going to put yourself in these situations, like take the time and, you know, obviously assess the risk and, and assess, you know, how, how, what's the worst thing that could happen and how to prepare yourself and things like that. So I think that that's a great, great travel takeaway. Yeah. I'll just ask one final question really quickly. What you recommend for our voyagers, if they are going to a country and they want that authentic experience, do you recommend like just arriving and talking to locals, hiring a local tour guide, or how would, how would you recommend they go about that? Yeah. And, um, before anybody makes any judgments on this recommendation, let me finish first. Okay. Um, but like <laughs> couch surfing is something that I think is very misunderstood and it can be used many ways. It, it can be used as, okay, I'm staying on someone's couch. I don't know. Or it can be made, it can be used as a platform to meet people to go out for a drink. So people think like, Oh, I don't want to sleep on a stranger's couch. First of all, it's awesome because you get a friend in a city that knows everything and you get in with their friends. And I've had some of my best travel experiences ever couch surfing. And if you're not comfortable staying with someone of the opposite sex, you can always find people of the same sex. And there's a lot of people who are like verified hundreds of times and like power users. These are like legitimate, like they know how to help you have a good time. That's, that's basically their, their hobby. They've decided to do is be a, a couch surfing house pro. Anyway, they're, they're gods on earth. I, so many of them, I owe them, I hope someday I can pay back all of the kind-hearted people I've met on that site that have helped me so much. But um, I use it a lot of the time just to find a local friend saying, hey, I'm a Canadian guy. I'll be in town for these days. Wondering if there's any couch surfing meetups or do you want to go grab a beer? You know, I'll, I'll buy dinner for you, something like that. And that's a fantastic site because you know these people there are already interested in travelers. You know that they have travel stories themselves. You're both travelers. So you can talk about things on end. Everyone loves a free dinner and, uh, and a beer or two. Most people do. And I use it all the time just to, to, to find a meetup or find someone specifically, even ask them for local tips. I use it even for my, my YouTube channel saying, hey, I'm going to go film this funky food in Vietnam. Um, do you know anyone there or do you want to meet up? I'll buy you dinner. Um, ask a couple questions. You know, let me know the time I'm here for this, this month or this week. And that's, that's the best way because the, the most powerful thing you can have is one really good local friend because if all goes to hell, you have someone who can help you translate or you have someone who can help you find that, that church or the cathedral, whatever it is, you know what I mean? And when you're lost. So th that is the, the simplest way. There's a whole site built around making local contacts and people always, always kind of dismiss it as couch surfing, kind of sketchy, whatever. But even if you don't want to sleep on someone's couch, um, really awesome way to meet people. I mean, we've slept, we've, we've used it a lot of times and slept in beds as well. Most of the time it's a guest room. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a great tip though. Cause I think a lot of people don't realize that they do have meetups or you can just meet one-on-one -on -one for a drink or coffee. Like you don't have to actually stay at the person's house, but yeah, just having that local connection can open so many doors, especially if you don't speak the language, you can have kind of like a translator 100%. and hopefully somebody would just show you around. So yeah, that's a great tip. Yeah, we've had some great experiences. And even like I know in Mexico City, there was there was like a bird watching group that went out every Friday in, in the park. And like 
you don't have to be a bird watcher. <laughs> just go, you know, go and ask some questions and, and just meet meet people. And at the end of the day, like if you're if you're a foreigner in a foreign country and you, they see someone, a local sees you just trying, they're, they're going to help you somehow. They're going to invite you out for drinks. They're going to invite you to dinner. They're going to point you the right way. You just have to find that in and that, that website that are maybe Tinder <laughs> are both really, are both really good ways. I don't, I don't, I don't use it anymore. I don't use it anymore but I did. Um, good tip. Both just really good ways to meet a local person. And once you have one local person, everything opens up. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, telling your stories today. It's been great to have a chat. Uh, why don't you wrap up by pimping yourself out, tell the Voyagers where they can connect with you, where they can find you and in any projects you're working on. Well, Voyagers, um, where most of the action is is YouTube, is YouTube. And if you want to see videos of any of the stories I told today, they're all there. Um, be warned, some are a little bit graphic <laughs> with some wild travel adventures. But I think if you're here, you kind of like wild travel adventures anyway. So uh, my YouTube is, is uh, Fearless and Far. Awesome. Awesome, man. Yeah, and we'll put links to uh, all your channels in the show notes so people can easily find you. And yeah, I just want to thank you once again for coming on and having a chat. And Yeah, thank you so much. That was a wild story. Yeah, keep uh, keep the adventures up. Uh, it was a great time, guys. Thanks so much. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow, Voyagers. Mike's stories were wild. Would you do that ceremony, Jules? Ooh, I'd like to think I'd give it a go. <laughs> I definitely would give it a whirl. Okay, Voyagers, make sure you go to notsobonvoyage.com to find the show notes for today's episode and the links to Mike's YouTube channel and all that good stuff. And while you're feeling a little bit generous and you feel like giving, how about you rate and review our show? If you're on Apple Podcasts, it's very easy. You just hit five stars, you write a review, happy days. If you're not, just follow us because even that is just as helpful. Follow us so you get fresh new episodes every week, Voyage Chats on Thursdays, Travel Crazy News on Mondays. And until next time, guys, we will see you on the other side. See you on Monday.